Okay, if you have a a Bible with you, if you want to find Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 16. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment or two. We've been jumping around the Bible uh, a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Normally our habit here at Liberty Church uh, would be to preach through a book or a chunk of the Bible little by little over, over a number of weeks. But what we're doing at the moment is we're doing a series looking uh, a little bit at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does through his people, the church. Um, so that's why we've been jumping around the Bible a little bit to look at different scriptures and passages that will help us understand that. And one of the things we, we've decided to do that, and we've taken, I think this is week six, and we've got two more to go after this, is because as a church, this is something that's very important to us, uh, that we would be what some people would call a charismatic church. Uh, what we mean by that is that uh, we're people that believe in the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us and in his gifts and his ministries to bless us and to serve the church. And we want to be a people that are hungry for more of God in our lives. We're hungry, hungry to grow in relationship with him, to grow in how we understand him and know him, but how we know him not just in our heads, but know him in our hearts within us. Know God speaking to us, guiding us, and leading us. But I guess for many people, the idea of being uh, kind of charismatic, um, you might think a charismatic church is a church that just has, you know, a guitar rather than an organ, uh, or a stage with lights as opposed to darkness, or maybe a preacher in a white suit. Uh, mine's at the dry cleaners, so I'm not wearing it today. Or you might think, you know, in, uh, in, in say, in, in politics, the idea of being uh, charismatic would be someone who's just a very engaging speaker, you know, someone who's got a, a kind of a bubbly, lively personality. You might think that what it means to be, uh, to, to be charismatic. Um, but really, the, as I just said, the focus really is on the, this, even the word charismatic means grace gifts. That's what the charismata is in the Bible. It's how the Holy Spirit is working through his people, through the church. That's what it means to be a a charismatic church. It's not anything to do with presentation or music style. It's about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing amongst us and what we expect him to do through us. And you might find there there tend to be... um, uh, there are lots of different types of churches, but they, they, you tend to find there are kind of three different ways that churches, particularly church services, will tend to function. That some churches, the kind of the center, the pinnacle, the main part of their meeting when they gather together, the thing that is the center will be the worship time, when everyone gets and, up and sings together. For some churches, that's the pinnacle, that's the most important thing. That's what you remember when you go home, that's the kind of the, the central part of the DNA of that church is when they sing their worship. For other churches, it will be, it'll be the preaching. 
That'll be the, the word of God delivered. That'll be the, everything in the service will be built around that moment when you gather together and open your Bibles together and study the word together. Or other churches will be built around perhaps uh, communion. That's the kind of focal point of the meeting where everyone comes together to the Lord's table to receive the bread and wine together. I mean, churches tend to fall into one or other of those camps. And um, you might have different impressions of how we fit into those categories. I guess I would hope that we try and make all three of those uh, very important without anyone being the one thing that we're trying to build to. Because really, the one thing for any church really is Jesus. It's building around him and who he is and how he's working through us in the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to do today is focus a little bit more on how the Holy Spirit works and ministers when we gather together, particularly when we sing together in our, in our times of worship, but also just in the services. What is God doing amongst us? What can we expect God to be doing? So I'm going to read uh, this verse from Colossians, um, and then we will pray together when the verse appears on the screen. Thank you. Okay, uh, here we go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me pray. Jesus, we... Um, our, our desire is, this morning, is that we want to know more of you whenever we gather together. That's, that's our heart. We want to grow in our relationship with you. Uh, and I pray that today, as we look at this passage together, uh, as we go through this, the rest of this service together, that we would know you with us, uh, Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us, speaking up to us. And we pray that as a community together, you would put a deep hunger within us for more of you, a, a deep dissatisfaction with the world around us, um, but a, a, a desire, a joyful pursuit of you would rise up within our hearts. That as a community, we would be here to, to love one another and to love this city, but most of all, to, to love you, to be caught up in worship and adoration with you, Jesus, we pray. Help us, God, we ask this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Often in church circles, we would talk about the, the worship leader, you know, the person on the stage with the microphone or the guitar or the keyboards, the person that's kind of there in charge of the music, which is an important, helpful role. But actually, biblically, when we gather together, our primary worship leader is actually the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's leading our worship. It says in Philippians chapter three that we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who enables each and every one of us to worship. When we first ever kind of fix our hearts on worshiping him, but right through even every time you gather, every time you're at home and you come to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit at work within you. He is the worship leader that we all need. It says in 1 Corinthians that no one can say 
Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No, no one can come to God except when the Holy Spirit is at work within us. He's the one, he's our worship leader. He's the one who calls us to the Father, who, the one who glorifies the Son. That's what he's doing amongst us. So what we're going to do is look at a few ways that the Holy Spirit helps to lead our worship, a few kind of pointers. So first of all, what the Holy Spirit does is he reveals the love of Christ to us and then leads us to respond. So he reveals the love of Christ to us. So it says in Romans 5, a verse we've come to many times in this series, it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your heart as he pours the love of God out into your heart. There's a quote I used at the start of this series from John Owen. And just to warn you, there's a few quotes today from John Owen. which There's so many that it might seem as though this message is kind of sponsored by John Owen. But he's dead, so he didn't do that. I'm not trying to sell one of his books or anything. So... He said this, the comforter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us sweet and plentiful evidence and persuasion of the love of God to us, such as the soul is taken, delighted, satiated. And this love persuades us that God in Jesus Christ loves us, delights in us, is well pleased with us, has thoughts of tenderness and kindness toward us. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes and pours his love out into our hearts. He, he, he kind of shows right in the depths of our being, he shows us God's delight in us, how he's well pleased with us, his thoughts of love and kindness, tenderness towards us. The Holy Spirit reveals the love of Christ and then helps us to, to respond. Our, our response when we sing or when we pray is, is driven by the Holy Spirit. It says in, in Zechariah that the Holy Spirit is a, the, the spirit of grace and supplication, which is a word that means like earnest prayer. The Holy Spirit is one of grace and supplication, he, of prayer. So it talks in Romans chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit, how he helps us to pray. In Galatians, about how the Spirit within us cries out to God, Abba, Father, whenever you come and pray, even if you don't feel anything, actually especially if you don't feel anything, the Holy Spirit's at work. When we come and sing and worship, sometimes you might just feel kind of dry and dead and look around the room and everyone else seems excited and you don't feel anything at all. But yet the Holy Spirit is at work. He's brought you here this morning. He's been at work to draw you into this community. He's at work right now to speak into your hearts. It's the work of God in you. He's our worship leader. He reveals the love of Christ and helps us to respond. And he, what he also does is he draws us into the communal, the, the together activity of, of worship. Um, 
This idea that you can just, some Christians will think that, oh, I don't really need the church. You know, it's really, all I need is me and Jesus and I'm okay. Or people will kind of jump from church to church. They'll do a church tour every Sunday, try out a different church. You know, I like, the, the, their worship over there is great and the preaching over here is great, but I really like the people over there and people will just bounce around different churches. Because ultimately, all that really matters is my relationship with Jesus, so not why I worry about anything else. But actually, that's a very modern Western idea, a very modern Western distortion, actually, of what the community of God is supposed to be like. If you go through the Bible again and again, through the Old Testament, how they, the people of God would gather together in God's temple or in the, the tent of meeting, right up until you see the early church gathering together in the book of Acts. All the time, what they do is they come together. There's a, there's a gathering together to worship God. That God's called out not just individuals, but he's called out a people that he loves. And that together we're supposed to help one another, to bless one another. That the church itself is Christ's body. There's something mystical that we can't quite understand about that. But we can't just detach ourselves from it. God's called you into this family to worship him. It says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now that verse, we often apply that individually, but it's actually written in a plural sense. It's written to the church in Corinth that Paul was writing that letter to. It's written to a people. He's saying to them, together the Holy Spirit dwells within all of you when you gather, when you meet. God is there. This is the, the, the new temple now. There isn't a place in Jerusalem that we should go to on some kind of pilgrimage. We come together into the church, to the people of God, his new temple. And it's, it's more than just a kind of a singing together when we gather. You know, often when, well, not often, every time we gather, we'll sing songs. You'll have noticed that already. We've already done that. But one of the reasons we do that is because that's what we see the people of God doing. You know, actually, quite a substantial chunk of the Bible is songs. <laughs> the book of Psalms is full of songs. It's, in a way, the book of Psalms would have been like Jesus' own songbook. Jesus knew those Psalms. He probably would have sung them himself. If you even go through many of Paul's letters, you'll find moments where he breaks out into these great kind of statements of doctrine. But often the way they're written actually is, lots of theologians think what Paul is actually doing, he's quoting songs that they would have sung together, hymns that the early church would have sung. The Bible is full of singing, it's full of songs. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, when you come together, that's important. It doesn't say if you come together. It, it has a, an expectation. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And there's another passage in, in Ephesians. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's something that when we come together, the Holy Spirit is at work within us, not just to help us sing, but to, to edify, to build one another up, to bless one another through lots of different ways of his gifts blessing the church. We're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit this week. So when we gather together, we teach the Bible because that's what it seems to be that the early church would have done. Exercise that gift of teaching to bless and serve one another. But it might also be that when we come together, someone might feel a, what the Bible calls the gift of tongues. They might have a tongue to bring. The Bible says that then there should be an interpretation to explain that. There might be other gifts. So sometimes here you'll notice someone will get up and say, I really feel God is speaking to me about this group of people. So Gavin stood up last week and said, I think there's some people here that have got dodgy knees that God would love to heal. And at the end, we prayed for about four or five people that had dodgy knees and prayed that God would heal them. That's because God spoke to him. It was what's happening here. As the gift of prophecy was at work. Often when we gather, that will happen. Someone will come and say, oh, I feel like God's saying this to us. To prompt us, to speak to us. It's because when we gather together, the Holy Spirit is at work. He wants to bless us. He wants to use us to bless one another. When we come together, we worship in spirit and in truth. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we sing and we share the gospel to one another. We deliberately try and pick songs where we get to sing out the gospel. Not just songs that are just kind of full of empty words. That sometimes could, they could just be a, you know, a love song to your boyfriend or girlfriend. There's often you find songs that have very little reference to who Jesus is. We try and pick songs which talk about who he is, what he's like. We can sing the love of Jesus to one another, sing it back to God, sing our praises, our worship to him. And you might, be, you might think, I'm not really the sort of person that likes singing, and I'm not really the sort of person that likes, my wife is, often she'll just be singing around the house, she'll just break into spontaneous moments of song, I never do that, ever, I don't. And if I do, I wouldn't be able to remember the words, and I would sound like a a duck in a kettle. It just wouldn't sound good at all. But actually, the, as I said, the Bible's full of singing. And when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of singing there too. If you read the book of Revelation, that's what they do. Gather before the throne to worship King Jesus. Even in our, in our act of worshiping together, there's a, a, a kind of a, a, a looking forward to one day what it'll be like in eternity. One day how our hearts will be drawn into this adoration of Jesus. So God, the Holy Spirit, draws us into this communal worship. And he also enables us to, uh, to engage with and to experience God. To experience God. It says in Ephesians Chapter 2, it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That verse is talking about the church. God's uh, uh, building his community, his people, not just this church, but churches all over the world and kind of the church globally. He's building us together into the 
dwelling place of God, this place of worship, this place of, of praise, praise, and the place where God dwells. There's an expectation there that if God dwells here, therefore we can meet with God, that we can know him personally. Because when we meet together, the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us to kind of pray and praise in kind of an upward fashion from us out to God, but we also receive from God. The Holy Spirit ministers deep into our hearts. He reveals the love of Christ. He reveals his presence to us. If we go to John Owen again, he's talking about prayer here. He says, prayer is whereby we sweetly ease our hearts in the bosom of the Father and receive in refreshing tastes of his love. The soul is never more raised with the love of God than when by the Spirit taken, taken into intimate communion with him. The Spirit takes you into this intimate communion, intimate relationship with him. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. He draws you into the most intimate of relationships with him. That's what he does. There's another quote here by a good friend of mine, Joel, who preaches here from time to time from Brighton, England. He said this very simply, God wants you to experience him. We worship a God who rescues you to know him. Not about him, but know him. God rescues you to know him intimately. <laughs> he does. And you, you might think all sorts of objections. You might feel that kind of prickly sense build up within you. But he does. He wants to know you intimately, personally. And you might think, well, how, why do I not feel like that then? Because maybe sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. Maybe your experiences are often when you come to God, either on your own or together, that you feel a bit kind of dry, as though nothing's going on. Well, that's okay. That's often the experience of lots of believers, often my experience. And often, when we gather together, often there's a, there's a kind of a diet that go, is going on. Not in a negative sense, but God is feeding you. I remember a friend of mine uh, saying that, uh, you know, if, if, if you were asked what you had for breakfast on Tuesday the 10th of October, seven years ago, you wouldn't be able to say. But you know that you had breakfast. That's, that's sometimes what it's like, or often what it's like actually, when we come together to worship God and open up his word together, is that little by little God's feeding us. There's a diet that's taking place. He's growing us little by little to become more like him. So those are some, some ways that the Holy Spirit is involved in kind of leading our worship. And we've got a few ways here of what we want kind of Sunday worship, not just the singing, but the whole of the service, to look like when we gather. So first of all, you're looking for a sense of freedom and order. Freedom and order. So famously, the Bible says that the truth sets us free. And it does, wonderfully. The truth does set us wonderfully free. And when we gather together, we get to celebrate, we get to delight 
in the freedom that we have in Christ, in the liberty that we have in him. So sometimes you'll see people, maybe if you're new here, maybe if you're not a believer, you'll see people maybe waving their arms in the air or jumping around or just looking ridiculously happy. And you might think, what is wrong with those people? Well, it's just they're celebrating the freedom of what God's done in their life. And you might feel, well, I'm not that sort of person. I don't tend to. That's fine. Some people will display their love for God in different ways. But it's not anything to be scared of or to worried about. We get to celebrate his freedom. And sometimes that can look, I guess the accusation you could throw against that is that's just kind of an emotionalism. That's just Christians getting overly emotional and getting too excited and getting carried away in emotion. And of course, we don't want to be governed by emotions. You don't want to be governed by how you feel. And you don't want to be controlled by those things. You know, your life is always up or down depending on how you feel that day. Your relationship with God is always on a high or a low. We don't want to have that sort of church. We're always just kind of hyping people up. That's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not trying to get you to all be hyped. But the reality is that surely when we meet together, if this is the dwelling place of God, if he's, the Holy Spirit is here leading you to him, then surely there's, there's, a, you can, you can, there's an emotion there that God will, will speak. Because God's interested in all of you. He's not just come to save your intellect. He's come to come deep into your heart to change you from the inside out so that you can have an experience emotions of love, joy, peace, that God can speak and stir even those things within you. The English preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I would sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air grow stagnant with a dead formality. Harsh words, but that's true. I would rather be accused of us as a church being over-emotional than a church of just dead formality. You know, sometimes you can, you can come into a church meeting and you can hear someone read beautiful pieces of the Bible, beautiful scriptures about the love of God, but yet the voice they deliver it in doesn't exhibit any sense of joy. And you could look around the room and thinking, do these people know that they're saved? <laughs> There's just a stagnant deadness. And I would rather that we were accused of perhaps excitement than to have that. But what that doesn't mean is what I'm suggesting is kind of a reckless spontaneity where everyone's like, I'm just going to bark like a dog. I'm going to jump off the chairs and I'm going to walk around standing on my head for the next two hours. I'm not suggesting us just recklessly, spontaneously just doing whatever we want because the Holy Spirit brings order as well. The Holy Spirit just isn't about kind of reckless chaos. The Holy Spirit brings freedom and, and order. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul gives some instructions because the church in Corinth was probably a bit wacky. They were doing some fairly crazy things. So one of the reasons Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians is to say to them, guys, would you just calm down? Like, you're a bit out of control. And he gives them some instructions of what it looks like 
to worship God, what their meetings should look like when they gather together. There's a section of, in 1 Corinthians 14 where he talks about orderly worship. I think one of the main reasons that Paul is instructing them to do that is because Paul had this kind of beating desire within him that he wanted more and more people to know about the love of Jesus. That's the same desire that we carry within us. Now, we're not here just to gather a kind of holy club where we just kind of high-five one another and have no engagement with the world around us. We're here because God's called us on mission to this city. And that means when people come into this building, I don't want them to say, those guys are crazy. I didn't understand anything that was going on, so I, I didn't feel at home and I'll never go there again. Sometimes people, often people will come in and not know what's going on. Perhaps maybe even being a little bit concerned or confused. But as much as possible, we try and explain what God's doing. Try and bring a sense of order to it. So we're trying to say to people, look, this is biblical. This is what it says in the Bible about these things. Because we want people to, we want to have that same desire within us that it's not just about our worship, but our mission is to see more worshippers. So we want to welcome more and more people in to come and experience God, to come and know him. So freedom and order. The next one, encounter and process. We believe that when we meet together that you can experience God, that you can encounter him. Now we regularly pray for healing because we believe God can radically break in and bring healing. God can radically break in and change a situation in your life. But also we believe in the lifelong journey of what the Bible calls sanctification, of little by little us becoming more like Jesus by his grace, by the spirit at work within us. So we believe that we can encounter God, but also we don't want to ignore that God wants to get right into the root issues, the heart issues of our life. And sometimes that will take years Decades of God slowly and gently and carefully working within you. We want people to, uh, to learn that often there's a, there is a sense of a journey process that we go on. So we don't want to just kind of hype everything up and make it seem as though you come in here and you just get this instant kind of quick fix and then away you go. Oh, we want to come in and minister God's grace to people. So encounter and process. The next one, repentance and joy. When we gather, there should be a sense of, of coming and repenting before God, of welcoming people in who are in some deep, dark places who need to come to God and ask for his forgiveness. But then knowing that in re- receiving his forgiveness, there's wonderful, liberating joy and freedom. Because it's not what we don't want to do. You find some churches that will take those things, repentance and joy, and what it actually looks like is either moralism or motivation. So moralism is just, um, these are all the things that you're bad at. Try a bit harder. These are some more laws for you to follow. Or motivation will be like, 
These are all the ways you can make your life amazing if you just try these kind of self-help, quick, quick fix things. And those are, that's kind of a, a counterfeit, like a, a copy of what repentance and joy really is. Yeah, do you know what a counterfeit is? A counterfeit is something that, that looks like the real deal, but, but isn't. You know, like when you get the, the kind of the Adidas trainers with the three stripes. I remember in England, my mum brought me, when I was a kid, a pair that had four stripes. It's like, mum, these aren't the real deal. This is a counterfeit. And you get that in, often with Christians, you get a, a what looks like a repentance, but it isn't. It's just a moralism. It's just, they're so, they're aware of their sin, but what they're doing is just saying, I'm going to try harder. It's not repentance. Repentance is saying, oh, I'm aware of my sin. Jesus, I need you. I can't change without you. I want to turn my life around, but I need your grace, your power to do that within me. And true joy is not just saying, yes, I'm going to take on the world today. I'm going to change everything. Yes, look at me go. No, true joy is, oh, look at who Jesus is. Isn't he amazing? And often those things come together now, we want to be this sort of church that where people come in and they're struck by the holiness of God because we believe in the Holy Spirit. He brings us to a place of repentance. And when we can come and share sufferings with one another, grief with one another, when we can lament together, quite a lot of the Psalms aren't just wonderful praise songs, but they're Psalms of lament which means like an expression of pain, of turmoil, of anguish. We want to be the sort of church where everybody can come in from wherever they are and be able to say, oh, I'm really struggling. I really need help. Where we can minister God's grace to one another. Where we can share in each other's sufferings and each other's burdens. We can bless and serve one another. Because the Bible is, is a wonderfully honest and real book. Suffering is all through the Bible. But often when you see suffering, you also find joy. They often they're kind of like a brother and sister that come together. The Bible is full of wonderful joy that we can have in him. So when we gather together, we want to be able to share on one another's burdens, but encourage one another, point people towards Jesus, help us to find our joy and our satisfaction in, in him. Not in how great our life is, but in how great he is. So repentance and joy, and also revelation and response. We talked about this a little bit already. But there's a, in that passage we read at the start, Colossians 3 and then in Ephesians 5, it talks about how we respond with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Often there's this dynamic when we come together. There's a sense of responding to God's revelation. It's why normally we tend to do most of our singing after we've preached the word so that we can come together and from our hearts respond to the gospel, respond to his love for us. It's something you get to, we get to do together. And sometimes you might... It's very easy to judge people on... They're kind of artificial outward responses. 
or even judge yourself on, I'm not putting my hands in the air, or I'm not, you know, my hands are just in my pockets or whatever. And it's good, it's important, it's a valid way to worship to use our whole bodies. And if you go to a concert in the city, people are very happy to do that. I've been to many, many concerts that look far more like worship meetings than most worship meetings. Well, it's true, often in the church today, worship meetings look like concerts and concerts look like worship meetings. I remember going to a Radiohead gig and all the way through, people were kind of waving their arms in the air, people were crying, you know, whenever they played their favorite songs, tears streaming down their faces. I was like, wow, like being in a really morbid church service, a Radiohead concert. But often we need to, it says in Acts 15 that God knows our hearts. That's what's really important. Yes, putting your arms in the air is a valid kind of bodily expression of who he is. You know, C.S. Lewis said, what our bodies do affects our souls. So sometimes being a bit kind of gregarious, a bit out there, actually kind of almost kickstarts something within us. But God's interested in your heart. He's not just interested in it, he knows it. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows it better than you know, actually. Sometimes we think we've got ourselves all sussed out, where most of the time we're pretty clueless about who we really are, what we're really like. But God knows exactly what you're like, and exactly who you are, and he wants to lead you to a place where, with your whole heart, you respond in worship to his revelation. Because we worship by his spirit, but it's all made wonderfully possible by his gospel, by who Jesus is, by what he's done for us. Let me just finish by reading this passage from Hebrews 10. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When we gather together, we get to boldly approach God. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And for many of you, that might be your number one objection to everything that I'm saying. You might think, I-, I want to be able to worship like that. I want to be able to know that freedom. I want to be able to experience God in that way, but I can't because of all these things I've done. And so often we, we flip back into that way of thinking again and again. We-, we come in here on a Sunday morning, we see people around us singing, and we don't feel like we can do it because we know this sort of week we've had. We know the mistakes we've made. Or you might even feel like, I just need to sing a few songs to kind of get myself in that place. There's kind of a weird kind of spiritual, uh, mystical singing sanctification that you have to do to kind of purify yourself. You don't need to do that. You can come in and boldly approach God because of who he is. If you're a believer here this morning, you get that wonderful privilege that when we get to sing, we can do it with 
with clean hearts and a pure conscience because God's washed them clean with his blood. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, that too is available to you. You can this morning can say, oh, I don't want to be like this anymore. You might look around this room and think, these people have got something that I want. And you can receive that from God today. You can ask for forgiveness of your sins. You can receive his grace. You can come and join with everyone and sing your hearts to God. Okay. We're going to pause there. What we're going to do is then respond by singing together. But before we do that, we're going to take communion together, which is another wonderful moment when we can come and worship God together. And also when we can come and expect him to minister to us. Often we'll find that when we take the bread and wine and pray with people, that might be the moment where God wants to speak to you or might want to use you to speak to someone else, to minister God's grace to one another. We take this meal every week. It's a reminder of who God is, of what he's done for us. It's also almost like a, a signaling to our hearts, yes, I can boldly approach because of the blood of Jesus, because of his body broken for me. Now, if this... This is a meal here for those who are believers in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian or you're not sure, we do just ask that you sit this moment of the meeting out. Again, as I said, if you have any questions about that or you do want to know who Jesus is, please come and talk to us or we'll have a prayer team down here who'd love to pray with you. Let me pray and then Joe and the band will lead us in some worship together. Why don't we just stand to our feet if you're comfortable to do that. Jesus, we, we don't want to come to you with uh, a, a counterfeit freedom or a counterfeit joy or come and pray prayers of counterfeit repentance, things that, that look good but aren't quite the real deal. We thank you, Holy Spirit, by your power in us that we can come to you with a real true freedom, knowing that we're forgiven. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and reveal that to our hearts again. <laughs> you just reveal your loving kindness towards us. Your wonderful forgiveness for us. This wonderful freedom that we have in you. I pray you'd help us to respond in both repentance and joy. <laughs> of saying, God, I need you. And I want more of you. And I want to delight in you. Pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and minister to our hearts right now, we pray. Amen.